We're going to be in your Bibles here in 2 Samuel here this morning. There's a story that said that generosity isn't always what it seems. There was a story that came out of Miami, Florida, about six royal palm trees that had been vandalized and cut down along Miami's uh, Flager Street. I believe is how you say that. Well, due to the expense involved in replacing these trees, they hadn't done it yet. They're trying to figure out who's going to pay for it, where the money was coming from, and so forth like that. But all of a sudden, a generous donation came along, and someone donated six new palm trees. They didn't know who it was, but someone had donated six new palm trees. Not only did they donate them, they also installed them. Dug the holes and put them in. Put them in. Now, the former trees, the ones that were vandalized, were 15 feet tall, and they formed a beautiful foreground. And in the back of that foreground, there was, a, there was a billboard that said, Fly Delta. The new trees were 35 feet tall and now hid the billboard completely. The people that donated them? Eastern Airlines. They're not around anymore, but <laughs> they're the ones who, who donated them. So sometimes we can, we can see something that looks like it's really good, really generous, but all of a sudden, it's not. There was another, another ulterior motive in, in that. We're going to look at some things here today in that, in that area. Last week, we're, last couple of weeks, we were looking at guarding against bad attitudes. We saw that love is kind, love is not selfish, love rejoices in the truth, it hopes all things, it believes all things. If we walk in love, we will keep ourselves out of bad attitudes. We gave you three tenets of love. Number one, love is selfless, it is hope-filled, and it is growth-seeking. God's kind of love is selfless, hope-filled, and growth-seeking. It looks for other people to grow, it looks for hope, and does not look to seek its own. Most times it is not about what is said or done, but what we think about what was said or done. Too often we, we go off and we begin to think about all the things that were said all the things that were done to us, and we begin to ponder a whole new meaning than maybe what was intended. And it can turn us into uh, having a bad attitude. Well, last week, we looked at against guarding against a bad attitude, and we saw four ways a bad attitude comes. Remember what those were? We lose what we thought was ours. We don't get what we think we should. We get what we don't want, or someone else gets what we wanted. Specifically, we looked at Haman, Cain, Moses, and Saul, and some of the uh, things that they did, some of the ways that they followed along this path of a bad attitude. But here today, we're going to be in 2 Samuel, in chapter 16. We're going to look at two people whose uh, submission was called into question. In 2 Samuel 16, verse 1, when David was a little past, this is after the uh, Absalom has revolted and he is fleeing the city. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. 
So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now, Mephibosheth is a descendant of Saul. Specifically, he is the son of, of Jonathan. And David looked to try and bless Jonathan and found Mephibosheth. He was in hiding because they thought David would want to kill him. David didn't want to kill him. They brought him there. When the nurse was fleeing with Mephibosheth, she dropped him. He became lame. The reason he was lame was because of David as he saw it. And he could have been bitter all this time, probably had some bitterness that was coming in. When he finally came before David, he was put there. He expected David to kill him. And David said, no, you're going to eat at my house. We're going to restore all that was yours. And he just didn't expect that out of David because that's not, just not the way the kings take things on. And so Ziba was one of the servants of the household and he put him under the charge of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth comes and if we know the rest of the story, we find out that Ziba falsely represented a bad picture of his master Mephibosheth. Now David accepted everything that Ziba said on the basis of one witness. Now the Bible is very explicit on this. On the basis of how many witnesses? Two or three shall every word be established. You need to hold on to that no matter what your emotions tell you. No matter how reliable one person comes to you and says a report, no matter how much you love that one person, no matter how much you care, no matter how much you might even think that one report is right, if you have only one witness, you cannot believe it. Cannot believe it. If you do, you are at fault, even if the report ends up being true. Because what does the Word of God say? On the basis of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. If you were going to bring testimony against someone in court, you had to have at least two who would verify it. Remember when Stephen was brought into court and they couldn't get two people to verify the same report? They couldn't get two people to verify the report against Jesus? You need to get two people to verify the same report. It's imperative in the Word. I remember not one time, some years ago, someone came to me and pled their case and said, so-and-so did such-and-such. Such. Now, what are you supposed to do with that? Well, it was real easy. Did anyone else see this? Does anyone else know that this happened? No. And I was very clear with them. I said, well, look, on the basis of the Word of God, I cannot act on what you bring to, bring to me has nothing to do with whether I believe you or not. It has to do with the Word of God. I cannot act on this unless two or three people can verify that this thing has happened. And we, we went on from that. Now, you, you need to do this. Two or three witnesses for everything. If you only have one witness and your emotions are telling you that one witness <laughs> is right and you follow it, you are wrong. Don't do it. Two or three witnesses. So David accepts this on the basis of one witness and he pronounced judgment on Mephibosheth based on one witness. He said, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my Lord, O King. Now, it's very tempting to do this, to pass judgment based on one thing, but you cannot do it. You will get yourself into trouble you will burn bridges. You will cause harm. Do not do it. Just hide behind the word, if nothing else. I'm sorry, the word of God tells me I can't make a judgment based on this. If you want, we can go talk to the other people involved. 
If you want, you can go see if you can find a witness to, to verify your story. But if not, we can't do it. Now here's the rest of the story. In 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was, <clears throat> so it was when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God. Therefore, what is good in your eyes? Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, What do you speak any more of your matters? I have said you and Zeba divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king has come back in peace to his house. Now, can you imagine being David? Zeba came to you, gave you a report. It looked like Zeba was loyal to you, doesn't it? Didn't it? It seemed that way. It seemed like Zeba was loyal to David. <clears throat> and he was following after him while the rebellion was going on. Zeba put his side on the side of David. If David loses this battle, what happens to Zeba's life? Zeba's dead. Doesn't matter what David promised him, he'll lose it all. So he basically gambled. I've got nothing now. If I gamble on David, that he'll come back and win, I'll get some stuff. So he basically gambled. He may have also been hoping that uh, Mephibosheth would have been killed by Absalom. Because Absalom was not as... Uh, as uh, good of a man as David was, and as he took the throne, he may have seen Mephibosheth as a threat and probably would have tried to kill him. If he is dead, when he comes back, no one's around to verify the story. So all these things are he's thinking about. And when David comes and Mephibosheth tells him the story, hey, I was all ready to go. We were supposed to go. My servant deceived me. He went off without me. I'm lame. I can't do all this stuff on my own. I needed him to help, and he went off. But look, I'm just glad you're back. I was supposed to be a dead man. And you put me at your table. He says, you can give everything away to him. It doesn't matter to me. And David just, just says, well, look, you're all going to split it. I don't know what really happened here, so we're just going to do this. We're going to split it. <laughs> I think David feels badly. He shouldn't have done this. But uh, have you ever made a judgment based on one witness and then later on found out that witness lied to you? Got yourself in trouble? But that witness sounded like they were very loyal to you, didn't they? See, sometimes people can give us the impression of submission. But what's in our heart will eventually come out. And we have to be watchful of that. So he comes home, when he comes on back, Mephibosheth comes to him. And Mephibosheth doesn't just say, hey, take my word for it. I was on your side. He says, from the day that you left, I haven't taken care of my mustache. I haven't taken care of my feet. I haven't taken care of my nails. I haven't did all these different things. Well, if you haven't done that in all those days, there's some evidence. You know, some of you guys, if, if you don't shave, there's evidence. If you have a mustache and you don't tend it, there's evidence. You know, if, uh, I've had a mustache for a lot of years. If I don't tend to it, <coughs> it starts to 
to, to get in the way. I don't like it. I see some of these guys on TV and they got these huge mustaches and they're down in their mouth and I'm thinking, oh, that would bother me so much. We were at the, the store this week and we saw this uh, one guy. I've never seen a mustache like that. I'm sure some other people probably have. But uh, he took the ends of it, had it real long, waxed it and had it all uh, twisted up. And I thought, man, that took some work. I wouldn't want to do that. But anyway, if you, uh, if you let these things go, there will be, you can't just grow a mustache like that in a, in a day. He has evidence to say, David, I was in mourning. If Absalom comes to him, why are you letting yourself go like this? I'm in mourning for David. It's, it, his life is, on, is once again in jeopardy by him doing this. So he has evidence to show David in the back of his story. Now his attitude is great. I tell you, I'd love to have an attitude like this. You had just been betrayed by Ziba. You've been told to be a betrayer to David. David doesn't quite know what to do here now and says, all right, you all just split what you got. And to have an attitude says, David, I'm just so glad you're back. I don't care that you believe that I would do this to you. I'm just so glad that you're back. You can give all the stuff to him. What a, what a way to go, huh? But here's the real crux of what we want to look at here today. And that picks up in 2 Samuel 16 and verse 5. Brother Keith in our men's breakfast was ministering out of this. And as uh, he was reading this, I was saying, man, this is the story of submission, isn't it? Because this story is a little bit puzzling as to why it happened the way that it did. But if you look at it from the area of submission, it kind of makes a lot more sense. Now, when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out causing con- or cursing continuously as he came. Once again, we have someone from the house of Saul. We're not told how close that is that house of Saul, but he's from the house of Saul. And he begins to curse David as he's coming out. So he came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of the king of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Now imagine this, you're on the household of Saul, David is leaving town, fleeing, and he's got all of his mighty men, remember the stories of the mighty men? All of his mighty men right next to him, people that have killed 300 people one time, people who have gone down into lion's dens or a pit with a lion in it and killed it for fun on a snowy day. I mean, these guys are something. And you're throwing stones. These guys that are on David's right and left hand, they are not carrying stones. They're carrying swords. They're carrying spears. They're carrying bows and arrows. They're carrying some weaponry. He comes out there and throws stones. David, mighty men. And Shimei said, thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Well, this doesn't quite hold true. David is not a bloodthirsty man. David was called to be a warrior, was anointed by God to be a warrior, and went out and walked in that anointing. He said, the Lord has brought upon you the blood of the household of Saul. 
Well, David didn't kill Saul. David wouldn't kill Saul. David had an opportunity to kill Saul and wouldn't do it. It was the Philistines who killed Saul, the Philistines who killed his son Jonathan. David had nothing to do with it. Then David came back and the people made him king over Judah first. Seven years later, they made him over, over all of Israel. But that part's not true either. It said, the Lord has delivered the kingdom to your son. Did the Lord deliver the kingdom of David to Absalom? Well, God never anointed Absalom. He didn't call Absalom. Absalom called Absalom. Absalom was part of a scheme against David because Bathsheba's grandfather was upset at the way he handled the situation. So God did not, did not do this. But he comes out cursing, throwing stones, and pronouncing all these things. And he's completely wrong. But he thinks he's saying this by the Spirit of God. He thinks that he's right. He does not come to this attitude right off the bat, does he? If you have an attitude like this, haven't you been festering on it for a little while? And now here's an opportunity for you to unleash it all and to put it all out. And they're saying that. Have you ever worked with somebody and all of a sudden at work, they're saying all kinds of nasty things about you? They found an opportunity to say what was in their heart. But what was in their heart was brewing for a long time. Maybe a neighbor has said some nasty stuff about you. It was brewing for a long time. doesn't matter whether it's based on fact or not. Nothing that this man is saying is based on fact. Nothing is based on what actually happened. He has totally conjured up all these things. Because we know from the Word of God what did happen. And he's become angry. And he's become bitter. And he sees an opportunity now to let all that out. And he comes and he lets all that out. He's not on Absalom's side. I think he wants the kingdom to come back to the house of Saul. Maybe he thinks he has a shot of that. Maybe not. It doesn't really say anything about that area. But I put in your outline this. People can and will misunderstand what you do for the kingdom of God. Just know that. You're working for the kingdom of God. David was working for the kingdom of God. David's call was to be a warrior, to wipe out the giants, to free them from the Philistines. That's what he was doing. People misunderstood that call. You have to be confident that what you are doing is born of the call of God. You have to be confident about that. Has God called you to do what you do? Because there will be plenty of people who decide that what you are called to do, you aren't called to do. And you're doing it of your own power. And you're doing it your own way. They will do this. You have to have that confidence. They can neither talk you out of it, nor should they be able to talk you into it. You need to be able to stay there. It's, as, as Moses had to stay in the call of God despite all Israel coming up against him and rebelling. That was tough. Despite all of Egypt coming against him. That was hard. But he had to stand against it. What has God called you to do? How many, no matter what it is that you do, no matter how great or how small that you view what you do for God, how many of y'all know there are people out there who will tell you different? Now, the Word of God does tell us, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. There is a role that you play to make sure that what you're doing for good is not seen as evil. Make sure that you follow that role and do what you need to do. Because sometimes we can dig our own hole. But David hadn't done that. David was walking the way he was supposed to be. And people will come out and they will misunderstand what you do for the kingdom of God. So that's how they leave it. 
he goes on off. The guy curses them. The guy throws stones at them. Now look at this, this part. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. I've got swords. We, we all, I love that, uh, that scene. My, my granddaughter is getting into Aladdin now. And there, that scene where the, the monkey grabs the sword. And all the warriors, have you seen that? All the warriors, um, they all go back and they fall back because the monkey's always oh, got a sword. And the one guy stands up, hey, we all got swords. <laughs> and suddenly, you know, we've got, we got to remember that. These men all have swords. But they know how to use them. And they're not afraid to use them. But they're waiting for David. Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. Come on, let me do it. Just say the word, just say the word. This is the same guy who went in there and, uh, and they got the water from the, from the uh, fountain, from the well. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And, and David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse? For so the Lord has ordered him. Did God order him to do it? No, nothing that he is saying is even born of God. There's nothing, God, it, it, there's no truth in it. But David is so down right now, he says, hey, let him go on. Maybe God has put him up to this. Have you ever had that thought? People are coming against you. Maybe God's behind it. So David's thinking. So he says, what have I to do with you? You guys are just always so, you're just ready to kill anything. He said, it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Let's, let's let this go. Let's not, not judge this. It may look, when we get on back here, God may look upon this and say, hey, you were cursed and you didn't, uh, you didn't do anything about it. Great, maybe he'll bless me for it. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. So he's just carrying on and just having a good old time there, just letting out all that stuff that was in. Have you ever had that? You know, you, you've got all these nasty feelings about somebody and then all of a sudden you just kind of let them out and then they just keep coming, they just keep flowing and, and all these things. And even stuff that's not necessarily true or based on truth, you've just been feeling it and you say that and you do that and then later on you pay the consequences for it. Well, this is kind of what he's doing. But after a while, Absalom's revolt was put down and David comes back to the throne. We go over to 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 15. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the kings, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Beharam, hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. He came quick because he realized David is coming back Things weren't so good between us when he left. So I need to go back down there quickly and try and settle this thing. Because he has the power to kill me. He has people who are ready to. Verse 17. 
there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household to do what he thought good. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on that day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I am your servant now, or know that I have sinned. Therefore I am the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. So he's there in a, in a hurry. I, I sinned, I blew it. Have you ever had people who have done nasty things to you, said nasty things, acted in a nasty way, and then all of a sudden, when things turn in favor for you, say good things, and want to get in your good graces? That's what he's doing. Obviously, he's back in power. Obviously, he has the power to kill me. He has the wherewithal to do it. He has the people to do it. He has the motivation to do it. He has the reason to do it. I need to give him a reason to not. But Abishai, the son of Zuar, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointed. So once again, what's Abishai want to do? Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Abishai, he's got a solution for just about everything. Let's kill him. He's a warrior. That's what he is. He likes to be a warrior. He's ready to put that sword to use. See, a lot of times, folks, when you have a calling, when you have a ministry that you operate in, when you have a strength, you see everything in that strength. You see everything in that ministry. If you are called into, say you are called into a prophet's ministry and you see a problem, what do you want to do? Thus says the Lord, thou shalt die. <laughs> right? We want to come in and we want to pronounce some stuff. We want to, thus says the Lord. <laughs> and we want to pronounce some cursing some, some, some bad things on, the, on this household for the, the things that are going on, right? Uh, if there's a good thing that they did, we want to pronounce blessing on them. Because that's the ministry of a, of a prophet. If you're a teacher and you see something bad go on, you know what you want to do? I think I, I, we, can, we can fix this. Let's teach him what the Word of God says on the thing and, and, and let, let's take care of that. And uh, if you're a helps ministry, what do you want to do? Well, they just don't have the right people to help them. If I come alongside with them and help them out in this area of ministry, I know we can bring them along. This. You see, you'll see everything within your area of ministry. And what you have to have the wisdom to do is to sometimes step back and say, go ahead, you take care of this. Let somebody else's ministry uh, step on in there. But we usually see our ministry as the most effective because we believe in it. Now, not necessarily that you doing it, just that you know, they need to be taught whether I'm the one teaching them. They need to be prophesied against or for whether I'm the one doing it or someone else is or whatever it, uh, it might be. David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? <laughs> Says that again. That you should be adversaries to me today. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, Shimei you shall not die. And the king swore to him. So the motivation for David not killing him is that this is a day of celebration. I've come back to be king. The rebellion is put down. No one dies today. No one dies. So he says, oh, 
good. I don't get to, if I don't die today, I'm probably not dying tomorrow. And then I'm probably not dying the day after that. Which means I'm probably staying around here for a little while. So he was, he was good. But the story does not end there. We still have more. Now this is the part that is puzzling. But if you look at it from the area of submission, it can make some sense. This goes over to 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 8. This is David's commission to his son Solomon. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Behurim. We know it's the same guy, right? You can't qualify him that much. And uh, not sure who it is. Who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Isn't that a pretty good summary of all the things that happened there? We know we're talking about the same guy. He said, when I was there, I told him I would not put him to death. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Now, let me re-paraphrase this for you what David is saying. David is saying, you're a wise guy. You'll know something good to do with him. I didn't kill him that day, but you ought to. That's what he's saying. I didn't kill him that day, but this is something you need to do. You do whatever you want to him, but don't let him go down to the grave without shedding some blood. (laughs) Somebody needs to get cut. There needs to be some bleeding going on. We're not talking about natural causes here. Maybe, you know, look up Abishai. (laughs) Get a hold of him. He's got a good solution for this thing. Go get him. But isn't that what he says? Now, why is this? Why is it that David spared him that day, spared him that day when he was cursing, the day when he came back, he still spared him. He spared him all this time, and now on his deathbed, when he will not see this, he says to him, you ought to kill him. Why does he do that? Is David suddenly, has, has David been brewing on this? Has David been sitting on anger at this guy? I really don't think he's given him, he would have given him too much, uh, too much thought because the guy was not really a threat in any way at all. Here's, the, here's another way of looking at this. Look at this from the area of submission. In the area of submission, this guy was under David's rule but was unsubmitted. And the whole time, he stewed against David can't believe David took, he killed our family. He did things against our family. He took the throne. He's a bloodthirsty guy. He's this, he's that. He's thinking about all these things and finally all this stuff comes out. He was operating in this way of unsubmission, though he looked like, gave the appearance to people that he was submitted. But finally this day came when Absalom rebelled and he didn't hold it in anymore and he came out and he said all the things that were in his heart. Now we realize, uh uh-oh, I let it all out. Now people know what I was doing. I need to somehow get back to where I was before. And so he comes in here and he pretends with David. David, (laughs) just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I'm on your side. Look, I'm the first one here to greet you. Uh, I'm on your side. And David says, I won't put you to death. But he tells Solomon, I want you to, to do this. I want you to put him to death. I think it was because of this reason. See, David is, is not wasting Solomon's time with grudge matches. He is giving him people that are going to be in his way when he rules. 
if this guy was in David's way, he's going to be in Solomon's way. If he was saying things, undercutting some things, so whatever it was, this guy may not have been on David's radar before, but after this incident, how many of y'all know he's probably on David's radar? He probably has some guys that are following after him. Let me know what he's doing. And they came on back and they probably said some things like, David, he may have said all those things to you when you came back, but it just doesn't seem like he's on your side. It just does not seem like things are going the way that they should with him. I think he's, he's, he's stirring up some trouble. And then as time went on, yeah, David, he's stirring up some trouble. Uh, he's over here. He's talking with this one. I mean, it's not a whole lot of trouble, but it's some trouble. He's not a real influential guy, but he's out there doing some things. David, he's not helping you out. He must have seen something like this. He must have had some reports. And then when he, he tells Solomon, he says, Solomon, this guy's going to be in your way. This guy's going to be a problem for you. And you need to be able to take the throne because there's going to be people that are out here trying to take this throne from you. So you need to do something about it. So King Solomon takes the throne. Verse 36, Then the king sent and called Shimei and said to him, Now what did David tell him to do? Kill him. Take him out. Don't let, his, uh, don't let him come down to the grave without some bloodshed going on. Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. And do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook of Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Now, where does Solomon live? Well, if you're around here for Second Kings or if you went through any of those, we know that Solomon lives in Jerusalem in a house. And he also has a summer house not too far off. But he's got a main house over here in, in there. He's also got a house for his wives. He eventually builds that because he has a lot of them and they need space and apparently he didn't want them living with him. Well, I asked, do you build a house for your wives? Huh? <laughs> he built a house for his wives. They're all over there. That's how he has his own palace. He spent some time doing that. He built the house of God first. Then he built his, uh, his house and somewhere in there built a house for his wives. Can you, can you imagine that? Being a, a, a woman in a harem and you all live together? I, I cannot imagine what that would be like. But again, that's not God's pattern. That's not the way God said to do it. And if you're going to follow a different pattern, you're going to have bad results. So this is where he lives. The saying goes, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He keeps them right here in Jerusalem. Basically, I want you to build a house here and you are not to leave this area. You are not to leave the city. The city has walls around it. You stay in the walls. If you go outside the walls, I will kill you. Don't go outside the walls. As long as you stay inside the walls, stay around your house, you're fine. Why does he do that? Because if he's a guy going out trying to stir up rebellion, you've got to do it outside of Jerusalem first, get some momentum, and then bring it on in. That's how Absalom did it. Absalom went to another city, stirred up rebellion, had everybody come to him there, and then David comes and finds out about it. Hey, they're all on their way here, and David flees. That's how you got to do it. So he said, you can't go to another city. You're not going to start any of this thing up. You're going to stay right here where I can see you. And if you leave this city, I know it's for wrong reasons. I'm not going to have a trial. If you leave the city, let's read it again. For it shall be 
on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. That's the, the brook right outside of Jerusalem. It's kind of a fun little study, all the things that Kidron was involved with outside of Jerusalem. But know for certain you shall surely die. Now look how certain he's, he's trying to assume. For it shall be on the day you go out, on that day, and cross the book Kidron, know for certain that you shall surely die. Is he trying to get a point across to him? <laughs> and your blood shall be on your own head. I may be the one executing you, but you did it to yourself. Now here is an interesting verse. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. As my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Days. The saying is good. Now if someone comes and says this to you, is the saying good to you? Think of how small the city of Jerusalem is. And someone says, you cannot go anywhere outside of this couple of square miles. This is it. This is home. Can't go outside and check out the fields. Can't go out in the mountains. Can't go over by the ocean. Can't go swimming in the lake. Here. This is it. In the city. How many of you would say, Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. How many of you are saying, Well, wait a minute. Why are you doing this to me? What, what possible reason could you have for doing this? Because he knows what? There's reason for it. They know what I'm doing. And he's, not, he's still not going to kill me. He knows what I've been saying. He knows what I've been doing. And he's still not going to kill me. All right, this is good. This is good. I'll stay right in here. We won't leave the city. We'll stay right around here. Now what happened at the end of three years? The two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord? And warned you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die. Now, don't read past some of this stuff. Look at that. The king sent and called for Shimei. How do you think he sent and called for him? Had his secretary come up on the phone? Shimei, can you make a stop over here at the palace? King wants to see you. Oh, sure, sure. Be right over. How many think it went along that way? How many think it probably went along the way with many guys, large guys, with <laughs> hardware <laughs> who showed up at your door and basically said, the king requests your presence. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the movies that you watch. You know, the gangster's limousine pulls up and says, so-and-so wants an audience with you. What are you going to say? And they, they got guns. They pull their coat over. They let you see they have the gun in their, in their uh, holster there. And, uh, you know, basically saying, do I need to, to pull it out? You know, it's right there. I can get it. Do I need to pull it out? Are we going to make a scene? Because I'm not afraid to make a scene. I'll make a scene if you want. And you basically say, I mean, every time in the movies, what do they do? 
They get in the car. I'm thinking, you're dead anyway. Why not make a run for it? <laughs> this is something I was always thinking about. If they want you to come to the house, do something else. Just don't make them happy. Go run. I mean, if they don't, they don't want to kill you on the run, so what? Kill me on the run. I don't know, but they always do it. They get in and sure enough, you know, they get taken out back or they, they stand in the living room with all the plastic all around. You know, when you're in a gangster movie and you're standing on plastic, it is not good. Bad things are about to happen. So Solomon calls for him. He comes on in. Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you saying, No for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Solomon's got a pretty good memory about this thing three years ago. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said moreover to Shimei, You know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. What was the wickedness he did? If you are going to describe the, wick, the, the uh, wickedness that this man did against David, would you say the Lord knows all the wickedness that you have done? Or would you say... The Lord knows what you did. Because as far as we know, he only did one thing, right? Which was, curse David and throw stones. But he's saying, all the wickedness that you did. Would that not indicate that there's more? That there was some other stuff that went on? You know, as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore, the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaniah, Benaniah, I'm sorry, the son of Jehoiada, <clears throat> and he went out and struck him. Now, Benaniah, if you go through the beginning parts of Solomon's reign, Benaniah is his hitman. He is the guy that whenever he needs to execute somebody, calls him, come here, come on in here, I need you, I need you to take care of somebody. And he never has to ask what he's supposed to do. Because every, every single person that he turns over to Benaiah, you know what they're supposed to do? Kill him. Kill him. He went out and struck him down and he died. I don't know why this would be a question. Shemaiah, he, he has no weapon. Because you, you're going to bring him to the king. He doesn't come with a weapon. He has no weapon. And the king's man, he's got a weapon. He's got a good sized weapon. He's got a weapon that is up to the task. He struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So he was given a chance to show if he was submitted. Now, we look at this and say, well, why did he kill him? Because he went after some stuff that was his. We don't like the idea of slaves, but anyway, they, they had him. He went after him. Why does, why does he do that? I mean, there's nothing devious about that. How do we know what he did on the way? We know what was in his heart. We know the kind of stuff that he did. If this was truly this way, where is Solomon? He's in Jerusalem. Where is Shimei? He's in Jerusalem. Why not send the message, ask for an audience of the king and say, King, I got word. Some people that I, I need in a household, they ran away. Can you send people to go get them? I don't want to disobey your order and leave the city. 
Can you send someone to go get them? If you don't want to send someone to go get them, can you allow me to go out and get them and to bring them back? You can send someone with me if you like. But I just want to go out there, get them, and bring them back. Why didn't he do that? Because the man was unsubmitted. He probably isn't even thinking, who is he to tell me I can't go out and get my stuff? Hmm. I'm going to go do it. And then everyone, when he tries to accuse me, everyone's going to see he accused me of doing something wrong and I did nothing wrong. He's probably looking to expose Solomon. But it doesn't work that way because Solomon says, I, you're not here to defend yourself. I told you. You leave, you die. Did you leave? I did. You die. Yeah, but what, I, that doesn't matter why you left. What was, what was the thing I said to you? If I leave, I die. Did you leave? I did. So you die. Today. Now. That's it. See, there are folks around who are unsubmitted but pretend to be on your side. There are people that others have told you are unsubmitted, but they're actually on your side. You cannot look at the evidence that stares you in the face. You cannot look at what people say. What you need to do is find out their heart. What you need to do is go down, sit down, talk with them. What's going on? Do you really hate me? Are you really not working with me on this? What's going on? You need to give an opportunity. Because what's the Word of God say about love? Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yeah. See, the enemy wants to get us out from doing that. And all he has to do is get us sold on our cause. And those people aren't sold on your cause. They're out to get you. I put this in your outline for you. Our submission is not evidenced by our words, but by our actions. We can have lots of words of loyalty to God. We can have lots of words of loyalty to other people. But it's our actions that show where we are. What are we doing? What are we saying? How are we thinking about it? How are we talking about it? Those are the things that, that come out. What are your actions saying to God? How about to others? Do your actions say to God, God, I am loyal. I am submitted. What about how we deal with those who might be or have been rebellious? How are we doing with that? We've all had people who have been rebellious in the past. We have people who we suspect might be rebellious. How are you dealing with them? Here's the thing we ought to get from this story. Do not be afraid to show mercy. Don't be afraid to show mercy. There are people who have been rebellious in the past and you need to show them some mercy. Give them a chance to, to step up. David showed some mercy. Did Shimei ever hurt him? Never found a time that he was able to get a rebellion going or get people go, going. He was never able to get anything to take hold if he tried. But David still showed him mercy. And even if he still tried to undermine Solomon, it didn't last very long. And it came out. And he was given opportunities to turn around, and he didn't do it. Did God show mercy to us 
when we are in rebellion against him. Then we ought also to show mercy to those who have been in rebellion. Don't be afraid to show some mercy. But after things have, have gone on and you can no longer show mercy, <laughs> sometimes we need to remember, what did Solomon do? <sighs> he put an end to it. He finally got to the point where an ultimatum was made. You will do this, you will operate this way, and the day that you don't, you will die. Now, that doesn't mean you go out and kill anybody. <laughs> You're not commissioned to do that. You're not a king, nothing like that. But there are times that we just need to say, sorry, you just can't be in my life anymore. You need to go be in someone else's life. You need to go help somebody else. And uh, Those kind of days may come. But don't be afraid to show some mercy. Remember the story we looked at not too long ago? Paul showed some, mer- some mercy to John Mark. And John Mark got back in the ministry. And John Mark made a turnaround. Sometimes, folks, we need to show some mercy. And there are some people out there who will take that opportunity. They'll do well. And just because you hear that someone is not loyal does not mean they aren't loyal. Just because you see some evidence that appears someone is loyal it doesn't mean that they are. There will be the Zebas who will come up and use other people's stuff. That's what Zeba did. Zeba used Mephibosheth's stuff to buy David. Didn't use his own stuff. He used Mephibosheth's stuff to buy David. And say, how loyal I am. There will be people like Zeba. There will be people like Mephibosheth. There will be people like Shimei that you will come across. How will you deal with them? Will you recognize unsubmission? When you do, will you immediately turn them down? Will you immediately shut them down? Or will you show some mercy? Thank God we've been shown some mercy in some of these things. Thank the Lord He's done that for us. Now we need to go out and show some mercy to others. But there does come a day, there does come a time that you need to say, enough mercy, enough mercy. I need to move on. You need to move on. We need to, we need to get some things changed. Sometimes people need that kind of a shake-up in their life to make a turnaround. That's all right. That'll, that may happen. But listen to the Spirit of God. Operate under love. Love sometimes is firm. Sometimes love is filled with mercy and kindness. Sometimes love says, you know what? This is what you need to do. And this is how you need to go about it from here on out. What kind of people you have in your life? Can you identify right now some Mephibosheths? Some Zebas? Some Shimeis? How are you going to deal with them? Don't deal with them on your, based on your emotions. You'll get messed up. Go to the Word of God. The Word of God will guide you. The Word of God will help you. Basis of two witnesses. Take two witnesses. Now understand this. You may only have one witness. It doesn't mean you can't be suspicious with one witness. It means you can't pass judgment based on one witness. You can be suspicious. Go check it out. But don't just kind of linger about being suspicious. That's just going to mess you up in your area of walking in love. Just go out there and talk to them. Would you all stand up with me? Oh, Father, in the area of submission, we know we have much to learn. We are not completely walking submitted to you yet. You're dealing with us. 
getting us stronger in some areas, exposing some areas where we need to get fixed in our life. Father, I thank you for the help you give us in getting us walk right with you. Speak to us this week about people that we have written off that maybe they were a Mephibosheth. Someone spoke evil about them and we took their word instead of examining what happened. Maybe we have some Zebas in our life and they have bought our loyalty. They have some said some things, done some things, not founded on the truth. And they are in our life. We think that they're submitted and loyal. But the truth is they aren't. And there's people like Shimei who seem like they're going behind the scenes doing a whole lot of damage. Trying to anyway. But all the while with us, they smile and they say nice things. So, Father, I thank you that you help us to identify all these people. That no matter who it is or what it is that comes against us, they will not be successful to pull down, pull us down from where you're taking us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over to God. Before we go here this morning, we've got some praise reports I see coming on in. And we have a little update for you on some things going on with the kids. Praise God. I don't know if that those stories resonate with all of you, but I think I can say I found myself in every category of those situations. And the one thing that I found is that through all of it, God has vindicated, God has promoted, God has helped. You know, he's been the one that's been faithful. Amen. When we just continue to do what's right in our heart, can't win or can't lose. <laughs> Uh, okay, this is from Naz. He says, thank God for keeping me, sustaining me, and blessing me in the absence of my family. It's also given me some time to spend with Candace. That's awesome, one-on-one time. And us, yes, for Thanksgiving we had a blast. Amen. Um, Susan says, praise the Lord. Her aunt has pr- been pronounced cancer-free. Glory to God. Woohoo! Amen. Alyssa says, I'm thankful that after praying for money to come in during this time to pay for Christmas, God has sent me more kids to watch, houses to clean, and last-minute events for her company. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to share another one of your praise reports that said um, she is now a preferred vendor for the Lowe's Hotel down in Philadelphia. So very excited about that. Yeah. And for the Ekpays, a new 2015 Toyota Sienna XLE Premium has come in. Praise God. Brand new car. Glory. Mm-hmm. Amen. Any other praise reports to, to say? No? Okay, Allie, did you want to come up and give a little um, where we're at with this thing? I just want to thank you all for um, the contributions for this Christmas event coming yeah, up. You awful. should see my morning room. The entire front of the Christmas tree is filled with packages ready to go. So praise God. So we have officially, I say officially, 31 children that we have bought gifts for between 13 different families. Some of them came in as recently as last week. So there was some stuff going on. That's all we're taking this year. (laughs) We're no more coming in. And I do still have requests of information for people that are coming in. You know, it's, 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 we've got 31 kids. That's a lot of kids. Um, They are coming here to receive said gifts. Friday, December 11th, the, the bulletin says the 18th. It is not the 18th. A little bit of typo. It is December 11th. Concert is here at 7.30, and it'll be over as soon as it's over. <laughs> 
And we have all kinds of stuff going on, as we've been saying. We've got dances, we've got songs, we've got signing, we've got uh, instrumentals, we've got specials from kids, we've got specials from families, we've got specials from the worship team. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Um, more than that, we've got a lot of kids coming. So I'm going to be that whole week transforming Zoe. <laughs> we are going to have lights everywhere. We're talking about some other decorations and things to pull the kids in because this is for them. Anybody who's ever been around a kid, mine included, I'm so sorry, knows that it's, it's a lot for them to sit for even half an hour, even when there is singing and music and dancing. So we're going to do what we can to keep that calm. Now that all of the gift things are out of the way, um, the focus is more on the concert itself. We do need hands to be here to help for the concert. This is just as much a Zoe thing. We want you guys to be here to see what we're doing as it is for the community to be in. And I really strongly urge you, please don't just assume we've got hands because we, we don't right now. Most of our hands are going to be pulling double duty as it is because they're performing, they're with their kids, they're helping corral the kids, so on and so forth. So we need everything from ushers to greeters to people to help with the cookies and the coffee and the hot chocolate. We need people that are going to be strictly designated talk to people. That's your job tonight is to talk to people. Get on the floor, talk to some kids, whatever the case may be. Um, and again, please don't just assume that that's happening. With that being said, if you want to help, if you know that you can be here that night, again, the concert starts at 7.30. So if you're an usher, if you're a greeter, you're here before that. And I know that people are coming from work and so on and so forth. But if you can, if that's something you want to do, please see me. Um, those are the areas that we need help with. I'm not guaranteeing that if you come to me next Sunday or call me on Thursday that I will have openings where you want to be. <laughs> so if you know specifically that there's something. And that being said, if you come to me and say, hey, I'd rather be in the cookie thing and you're somebody that I could count on more to talk to people, I might say, would you reconsider <laughs> and do something else? Um, there are specific things that are going to be I keep saying specific. There are things that we're going to be doing specific for a concert that wouldn't necessarily be for a Sunday morning. Um, just, I'm not going to go into all of them, but little things like the ushers are going to have to deal with the fact that the house lights are not going to be on. We're going to have to make sure that they've got flashlights and that little ones are not in the aisles. How are they seating? Because we are going to be packed. Um, making sure you start from the back and go, for, front and go back, so on and so forth. Every area has its own little things for that specific whatever. So if you tell me today that you're interested in A, B, C, or D, I will be calling you between now and the concert to go over those little things. Um, and I think that's the majority of it. Everything else is taken care of. You guys are awesome. We've got some seriously cool presents for these kids, and I'm, I'm so excited about that. We've got things for the parents. It, it's awesome. We've got seriously blessed kids coming in here <laughs> is that did i miss anything no i just oh oh also um some of the parents are here just so everybody knows parents we are practicing with the kids next saturday four to seven i am providing pizza for them because i know it's over dinner time you can drop your kid off and go i actually i urge you to do that drop your kid off and go the more the less hands we have in it the more because that's really our only practice time with the kids they spent a lot of time practicing their thanksgiving one which i'm sorry that i missed it was awesome and now they actually have some christmas stuff they're doing to bless some more community members so practice time for them is really really tight that's what we're doing next sunday immediately after service and i feel like we've been doing this a lot but we might kick y'all out again and i'm sorry next sunday is our dress rehearsal that is not just for kids that is for everybody that is doing anything performance wise on at the concert so you all know who you are. If you don't, that's an issue. 
you know who that is. We are going to have a, a quick a quick little covered dish immediately after service. So if you can bring something to share with everybody, if we need to supplement like we do, we'll grab some pizzas again. I'll be pizzaed out that weekend. But um, we're shooting to have that done by three. And I say shooting for because we've got a lot to do. <laughs> then that very next Friday is the concert. It's a week from this Friday. It's a week from this Friday. Um, so, yeah, so I think that that's everything. If you're a parent and you have a question, please ask me. Uh, call me, text me, whatever. We'll make it happen. You can dress however you want to dress. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two things regarding that. Parents, if you need rides for your kids, I know it's a lot for you back and forth. Please, I can be a little shuttle. I'm not involved in the, the program, but I can certainly shuttle kids back and forth. If you can drop them off and you need somebody to bring them home, you know, we can, we can work on that. Um, I did want to mention about the food because some people were saying about making cookies. We're not making homemade cookies. I would love to, but because this is an outreach, because it's for the public so far, if it was just our, our immediate family, that's one thing. It's better for us to do store-bought th things. So if you want to be involved with the kitchen work, what it would mostly be is just setting things out on trays, making sure that the hot water is done for hot chocolate, and so on and so forth. So we're not asking you to make cookies. Just come and put them out on trays. 